Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We are working our way passage by passage through the book of Romans, which really was a letter. And it likely would have been read to the church over and over again, but probably in its entirety at the first time. And so it can be easy for us to you know, lose the forest for the trees. So I want to remind you where we've been. He introduced in the first chapter his theme, a righteousness that comes through faith. And then he describes the wrath of God being revealed against sin and ungodliness. And, and says that applies to the pagan, to the irreligious, and to the immoral. It applies to the moral, who are moralistic and trying to be their own savior, but do not seek God, and exchange the glory of God for something created themselves. It also applies to those who are religious. For even in our religious works, our best works, we're still seeking ourselves instead of God. And so we all share this common, deeply rooted uh, problem, disease, that we don't seek God and that we are all under judgment because of it. Unless God provides a righteousness that comes apart from the law, apart from obeying commands and religious activities, unless God gives righteousness as a gift, there's no hope for anyone. And at the end of chapter 3, we see that God does do that. He provides the righteousness of Christ through what he, the, uh, the ESV calls propitiation or the NIV atonement. It's that God is satisfied with you because of Jesus. And that's what propitiation means, to satisfy someone. And God is satisfied with you because of Jesus. Now, in chapter 4, he's going to sort of take that thought and let it flower and, ex- and, and, and we can explore it. And we can see how God becomes satisfied with us though we cannot keep the law and we have no righteousness on our own. How does God make us right with Him? In Romans 4. Let's, uh, let's pray before we read. Father in Heaven, You are a great and holy King. And if the law were our only hope, we wouldn't have any. None of us can keep it. None of us can satisfy Your demands. None of us seeks You. And so we're all destined to destruction unless You intervene. Unless You provide a righteousness that we can't do on our own. So we thank You for Jesus who is our righteousness and who is our life and who satisfied You for us. Help us understand how He has satisfied You, and may we leave with confidence in our Savior because of what He has done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. This is God's Word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our father according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
It's just God's Word. It's completely true, and it is utterly trustworthy. For a, a lot of you, the idea of, of jumping out of a plane might sound like a terrible idea. But for at least enough people, uh, it sounds like an exhilarating pleasure that there's actually an industry for skydiving. Classes taught, trainers uh, you schedule time and with the trainer and learn how to land and roll. You learn how to pack your parachute. You learn how to do all the technical details of jumping. You jump from with guided jumps from low altitudes and work your way up. But if you want to do all that and get the license, I guess there's a licensing agency. To get a license to skydive, you've got to go through hours of training. Uh, it's fairly expensive because you have to pay for the trainer and the classes, and you have to pay for the flight time. Uh, it, can be, it can rack up. And so you need a lot of time, a lot of training, a lot of work, and a lot of money in order to qualify for a, a skydiver. Or you can do tandem jumping. Tandem jumping is where they use a, a harness and attach you to an experienced skydiver. And you can schedule an appointment, go to the airport, and in 30 minutes be falling out of a plane if you want to. With pre virtually no training, it's a lot cheaper. You can just plain jump. And, and, and how do they get away with that? It seems dangerous, except that when you get attached to that person who knows what they're doing, it's counted as if you were trained and you were ready. You get all the credit for what they have already accomplished. Now, I think that's a, a helpful illustration for us to think in what it happens to be tied to Christ. To trust in Him is to be tied to Him in such a way that you get counted righteous because of what He did. That you get counted perfectly at peace with God. Not because you are a good person, but because of all that He did, all of His obedience, all of His learning, all of His seeking after God. The very things we don't do, He does. And then we get tied to Him through faith, and we get the credit, we get counted righteous because of what He's done. That's a great truth. I want you to see how... Paul, and the, inspired by God, describes that to you in chapter 4, verse 1. He looks at Abraham. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it, his believing was counted to him as righteousness. That is, Abraham didn't please God in the sense that he obeyed everything. Abraham didn't do enough stuff to earn God's favor. Abraham believed God's promise. Abraham believed God when God said, I'll give you a land and I will give you a son. Abraham believed God when God said, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him to me. The, the Hebrews tells us he expected God to raise him from the dead. He believed God. He believed that God was giving him all those promises. And God looks on that faith and says, I will count your faith as righteousness. Righteousness is 
a description of our relationship to God. To be right with God is righteousness. To be okay with Him. For Him to have nothing against us. And, and, and so Abraham was given this right standing with God, righteousness, apart from his works. Look at what it says in verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In the verse before it, it says, if you do something and you work for it, it's your wages, it's not a gift, it's, it's payment, it's what's due. Some of you are employers, and you've seen people and you give them their wages for working, and you still felt like it was a gift because they didn't work hard enough for it, right? But the idea is you still, you still owe it to them. If you decide, oh, I don't think you worked hard enough, they're going to go to court and they're still going to get their wages. It's their due. It's justice. What Paul is saying is that you are right with God apart from what you do. Uh, apart from your works, apart from the law. In fact, he says, to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly. I don't think that means that they don't do anything good, they don't try to obey. It's not somebody who says, really? I don't have to do anything? I can just go and live and God justifies the ungodly? I'm going to stop trying to do good works. That's not the point. Abraham is the example. Abraham still trusted God and he demonstrated it through offering Isaac. He demonstrated it through leaving his homeland. He demonstrated his faith. But Abraham grew to where he did not trust his offering of Isaac. He trusted God's promise. Abraham got to the point where he didn't trust, hey, I left Ur, that should earn me something. He said, I stopped trusting in my works. I'm going to trust in God's promises. And what God does is He takes Christ's obedience, Christ's righteousness, and covers us with it. It's not our works, but it's still just. Remember, we saw in chapter 3 that He is, the, he is just and the justifier of sinners. You see, what God does in order to make you righteous is He takes His Son's obedience and counts it to you. It's an accounting term. You know, I don't know anything about accounting. When I was working as an RUF campus minister, I had to uh, account for the ministry's money that I spent, and I had receipts, and I would they were supposed to add up to how much was missing from the bank account, and I usually got within a 3 or $4.00. But I could not figure out how to make it line up just right. And, and that bothered me. Math is supposed to work. Accounting. Here's what is yours. And God says, when you trust in Christ, I'm counting to your credit the obedience of Jesus. I am putting in your column of possessions all of His faithfulness. Now, that's great because you don't seek for God. But Jesus did. You don't love authority over you. Jesus did. You don't forgive people well. Jesus did. You see, the righteousness that God demanded, He gives through faith to the one who doesn't trust their works, who doesn't say, 
hey, I'm going to look at how well I'm forgiving and I'm saying, look, I'm, I'm forgiving pretty well. Maybe not perfectly, but I'm forgiving these people who've bothered me and hurt me and sinned against me. And I'm, I'm doing that better than I used to. And I begin to think, well, now God owes me something. You see, justification is this. Whether you are forgiving well today or not, your righteousness, your standing with God depends on what Christ did. Whether you spent time studying your Bible and reading it and seeking God and praying to Him, or whether you said, I'm just too bored by that and I can't do it today, your righteousness, your standing before God depends on Jesus, not you. When you're having a really, really great day or week, and you're looking back and you're saying, what a great week. I've fellowship with God. I've wanted to pray and things have been good and I've enjoyed salvation. That's not to your credit. It's a good thing. But it doesn't go into that credit column. Your credit column's already full with the righteousness of Jesus. And all of those good things, as good as they are, and we hope for them, those things don't bring you one step closer to God, does not give you one inch more of peace with God, it does not do anything for your relationship to God, that's secure, you're covered in Christ's obedience, and that is settled. And when you have that week, you know, the one where anxiety crushes in, that week when you are frustrated with other people, and all uh, every just seems to go wrong and you're just angry or bitter and you look at the scriptures and you say I just don't want any part of that if you have trusted in Christ even then your righteousness depends on Jesus not how you feel about the Bible like I don't think it's a good thing I don't think we want to live where we say hey I don't have time for God I hope that you get to those moments and you want to repent and you want to come back to God. But no, your righteousness never depended on how you feel or how energetic you are or how active you are or how lazy you are or how apathetic you are. It depends on Christ's righteousness that is given through faith. That means... No matter how you have come today, if you will trust in Christ, you can be righteous before God as you walk out these doors. It's not just the the righteousness, though. He says something else. Look at verse 7. He's quoting a psalm that David wrote. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You see, here's someone who trusts in Jesus and God counts that righteousness. It goes into your column of possessions. But then he says, but I won't count your sins. I'm going to take your sins from your column and rip them away and I'm going to put them on Jesus. You see, here's what happens. You get this magnificent exchange. You get the righteousness of Christ. And He takes your sin and He carries it to the cross and Colossians says that the righteous requirements of the law that were against you are nailed there in Jesus. He takes your sins and God says, I won't count those 
into your credit, into your column of accounting. I'm taking them out and I'm putting them in Jesus' column. And He will be your substitute. You get His righteousness. And He gets your sins. And now you stand before God. Sin's gone. Covered in righteousness. It's as if God is saying, I won't notice. I won't pay attention to your sins anymore. Your lawless deeds are forgiven. Your sins are covered away from sight. I won't count them. I'm putting them on Jesus. It's not that He leaves them to go. Oh, I'll just overlook them. He takes those sins and puts them on Christ. And there, Jesus becomes the curse for our sins. They're really paid for. And so, your sins aren't just forgotten. They're dealt with. And so they're erased. God has already spent all the wrath to do your sins. He spent it on Jesus because He took your sins out of your accounting. And all that He left in your column of possessions was perfect obedience. Perfect righteousness. Here's what it's saying. If you trust in Jesus, if you say, I'm done trusting in my good works and I'm done trying to live my life as my own Savior and I'm done trying to live apart from Christ. I'm going to trust in Him today. If you say that, then at this moment, you are as righteous before God as you can ever be. And you are as sinless in His sight by His judgment as you can ever be. The Scriptures tell us about how to grow in that grace. We're going to get to that. But today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to hear what Christ has done and I want you to wear the robes of righteousness that He's given and say, I have confidence before God. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. I want you to wear the robes of righteousness and I want you to take your guilt and look at it and say, It was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. I want you to take this promise that God will rescue you, will make you righteous and sinless for Jesus' sake in His sight through faith alone. And I want you to just smile and enjoy it and celebrate it and talk about it and Think about it. It's like a kid who gets a new toy. I want you to hold it up and look at it and play with it. Let this truth sink in. You are righteous before God if you're trusting in Christ. We used to take our kids to, to Gaddy Town down near Jackson. I think it's closed now. And I, I can't imagine why. That broke my heart. We would always go with like birthday parties. So it was always a bunch of kids. We'd line up at the thing and we would pay for stuff and they gave you these little cards, looked like credit cards, little magnetic strip on the back and you would hand them out to the kids and they had money on them, money value on them. And you'd go take those and slide them into games and they would play bowling and video games and all that kind of stuff and every time you slid it, a little bit of money would erase off of your account. And eventually... You'd slide it for the last time and all the money's gone and then you can't use it anymore. And all the games had these little tickets. You take the tickets and you run them through a machine and slide your card and it remembers how many tickets you had on your card 
And then you go shopping. Shopping for uh, plastic rings that are two millimeters wide. And, uh, you know, uh, frogs that will jump when you press down on them. And little things like that. And you you shop for those things. You get a, a, a handful of them. And you see where your money has gone. here's what I want you to see. In some ways, the illustration is like this. Jesus saw you there with nothing in your hand. Your card was spent. You had nothing to show for it. And He says, here, have mine. And the card He gives you is infinitely full. And He points you not to a store with trinkets, but to the heavenly store where you can buy every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Where you can go and exchange this little card for the favor of God so that you can say, God, if you would give me your son, how will you not, along with him, give me everything, everything good beside him? You take that card and you say, God, you've given me this. I'm spending it. I want your favor. But see, even then, the illustration is not good enough. Because the idea is that we're just happy kids at a party doing what we're supposed to be doing. Really, it's more like this. You are standing there broke, having broken the arcade. Having vandalized the whole thing. And the police were coming. And all they knew was they were looking for the one who had no money in his card. And Jesus gave you his card. And then he said, I'll take your poverty And the police got him. And he paid for your sins. You have all his resources and none of your sins if you're trusting in Christ. Listen, that is really good news. That is the gospel. And I I pray that you and I will believe that today. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We need your grace to believe this. The, the idea that we could be completely and utterly fully righteous in front of you is, is almost too hard to believe. But if you'll help us, we can believe it. It's your word and it's promised. Abraham believed your promises and David believed your promises and you made them righteous. Help us believe your promises and make us righteous. And not just that you clothe us in righteousness, but you actually take our sins from us And so, before your courtroom, we will walk in righteous and sinless. We pray that you would let us dwell on that and enjoy it and give honor to Christ. For He has accomplished that great salvation and we love Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare for the Lord's table, let me ask.